Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Welcome for um, joining us today. This is uh, Joel Miller with the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We have a uh, old friend of mine here, Bernard Anderson, who's our special guest today, and uh, we're excited to have him here. So, what's happening, B? Good morning. Good morning. It's a great Monday morning. I'm excited to be here too. Believe it or not. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're happy to have you, and uh, and everything else. And you know, one thing I was going to mention is that. Um, for a lot of you folks that don't know, I used to be on the radio years ago during the um, evening rush hour here in Atlanta. That that particular show was, uh, I don't even know what it was called. Well, it was the Joel Miller Show. That's what it was. Joel Miller Show. Yeah, on WCFO, you know, back in the day. It was quite a time to broadcast while the uh, the sky was falling, basically, you know, during 08 and 09 and all that to be on the air was, was crazy. For you guys who don't know, Bernard Anderson was uh, one of our regular co-hosts on the show back at that time, you know, because basically he had a, a depth of knowledge in um, securities and and in the markets and everything else and was advising folks on money and capital. Bernard, you know, just to um, let you uh, take take it away, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. You know, we, we know what you're doing now, and we're going to get into that a little bit as it relates to uh, some of the exciting things that are coming down the pipe in commercial real estate. But um, how'd you get to where you are? You know, you've been around the block for a minute. Wow. Well, I'm sure we don't have enough time today <laughs> for all of that. But yeah, like Joel said, we we uh, co-hosted a radio show back in the day, I guess it must have been, uh, what, eight years ago now, at least. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, I was unpacking some boxes and found the CD recordings. Really? We did because at that time I was a licensed securities person and we had to record the session. I had to submit it for compliance review, mm-hmm. get it approved by compliance before we could even hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, we, 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 we got a hold of the system and once we learned the system, um, it then went pretty smoothly. But for me, after, um, Attending North Carolina ANT, I went into. I was in the ROTC program. Went into the military. Um, this was in the mid seventy, mid to late seventies. Spent a career in the military as a uh, finance and procurement officer. Spent some time all over the world. One stint was at the Pentagon, running the um, the uh, advertising and recruiting contract for a Department of Defense. It was the old slogan: Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine. It's a great place to start. That was my, my contract that I I managed with the major advertisers on uh, Madison Avenue and Avenue of Americas uh, in New York. So I got a taste of civilian life even while in the military. Mm-hmm. The last tour was actually in the plant at what was then called Martin Marietta Space Systems, where they developed the Hellfire missiles and Patriot uh, missiles, Scud Busters, that we use in the... Uh, Middle East War, Iraqi War. Mm-hmm. I retired, I think it was 92, and got into the business of financial planning. Started off with Prudential Wealth Planning Group, 
in Greensboro, North Carolina, back where I went to school, developed some really good relationships, um, predominantly with African-American professionals, uh, attorneys, doctors, business owners, uh, board members, and it just elevated from there. Prospected uh, Black Enterprise Top 100 guys, guys who own car dealerships and other businesses and didn't have a clue about asset protection and tax strategies and wealth management. And this was during the day, even before, right before the internet. So, so it, it was um, it, it was marketing 101 one. Let me tell you. But you know, over the years, network just grew, advances in technology grew, tax rules and regulations changed, the stock market grew, the technology grew. So a lot of things changed that required people like me and my profession to stay on top of it so that I could help people who were in positions to invest money and, and create wealth. But particularly in our community, we didn't understand how to create wealth, how to preserve wealth, and how to create legacies. So, you know, that could be private investment. That could be managing your benefits at your company. That could be executive benefits. That could be stock, stock option strategies. Uh, that could be uh, trusts. That could be all of those things that fall under that umbrella. And, and, and that's where I start off and that's where Joel and I met. Over the years, I, I evolved, I want to say, into the international markets, learning more about commodities trading, hard commodities, not derivatives. And, you know, cycles come and go. This was during the time when China was buying all the material on earth to construct their real estate market. So they needed steel. They needed coal. They needed everything you could think of to support their appetite for construction. And I was involved in that. And because I got involved with other commodities, such as uh, precious metals, gold and diamond trade. And eventually, um, I got out of that business when the market crashed in real estate. We all had to pivot to some extent. I did as well. That was about the time when technology started catching up and and, you know, all these introductions to things like digitization and tokenization and those sorts of things. And I was always intrigued by finance, banking system. You know, we had to bail them out in 2008. And here they are. They're, you know, at it again, if you will. I've never been comfortable with banks ruling my money or me having to go in a bank and stand in line and, and, and wait and beg them for my money. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. So when tokenization and blockchain came about, I said, you know, this might be an opportunity to uh, level the playing field. And I think during uh, COVID, when everybody was on shutdown, that gave me an opportunity to be still and sit back and, and learn some of the things that are going on in that space. So uh, fast forward, here we are. Yeah, yeah. It's been quite a ride, you know, from that standpoint. And I will say this, uh, we're not going to mention any names, but some of the names of folks that uh, Bernard has managed money for and got us involved with are certainly household names. I'll just put it that way. So uh, it, was, it was quite impressive. And, um, you know, we've done a lot of stuff together over the years, uh, even working on, uh, you know, building out that, that private equity fund back in the day as well. So um, we, we've had a lot of history from that standpoint. But, you know, we, we've invited everybody here to uh, talk about some of these things that are coming down the pipe. 
you know, you mentioned tokenization, you mentioned blockchain, you mentioned all these different things. I would think that a, a lot of folks are not even familiar with those those terms. Maybe tokenization, but maybe not blockchain. I know I, I, there's, there's certain conferences that I've gone to, and when I walked in the door, it was always some new term. It was like, well, what's that? <laughs> you know, and you're trying to figure this stuff out. If you want, can you give us a little breakdown or background as to what exactly blockchain is, tokenization, and, and what does it have to do with real estate? You want to kind of take the lead with that? Well, I, I can't tell you exactly, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> because I'm still a neophyte in that space. I talk a little bit of that language. I've had the basic uh, courses. But what I've done is reached out through my network and connected with the people who are experts in those fields. For instance, a couple, let me see, uh, last year, 2021, I connected, and LinkedIn is a great connector uh, for global contacts. And I connected with the group, believe it or not, in Kiev. I say Kiev. I've heard them say Kiev, Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And Ukraine is an area where I'm sure everybody knows where it is now because of the war. But there is a group in, in Ukraine that I joined called Stobots, S-T-O-B-O-X. Ukrainians are very smart in this space with the digital transformation, tokenization, high-level technology. Their leaders are pretty much in that category, if you will. And I joined them after some discussion because they were early stage. They were early stage technology and they were providing tokenization services for different kinds of assets, not just real estate. So we developed a relationship with with the co-founders, excuse me, co-founders, And I began to learn from them about tokenization and the benefits of it through a lot of their YouTube presentations and a lot of their blogs and white papers that they put out. And I matched that with other documents that uh, McKinsey and Company, for instance, would put out or some of the big accounting firms. And they would talk about the digital transformation and blockchain and where they see the world going. And I, and I said, you know, that's a good third-party endorsement that something's going on here mm-hmm. that I need to be aware of. It's like when we, I don't know if you did this, but when I came up, I was putting eight-track tapes and CDs in my car, you know, and I could do it myself. Can't do that anymore, you know, with technology. You just can't do those kinds of things anymore. There are people who, who are better at it than you are. So these guys are really good. They're really good at teaching. So that's how I got involved. There's two other groups, the other one in Austria. um, And I find that a lot of them are in the European countries because the countries outside of the U.S. have adopted them very, very quickly. Adopted blockchain, adopted cryptocurrency, adopted digital transformation. And, you know, the U.S., we're, uh, we're so bogged down in making sure that the white people have control. You know what I mean? Wall Street has to figure out how they're going to make money. And you know, there was a big resistance to it. Even the, the bank CEOs are saying, oh, it's a bunch of crap. Even Warren Buffett, oh, it's a bunch of crap. But now they have investments and they're offering investments in uh, Bitcoin and other kinds of uh, cryptocurrencies. I still haven't answered the question about what it is. No, I can jump yeah. into that. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, please. Uh, uh, yeah, so I guess the... There's different 
things to, to kind of go into here. Blockchain is, is basically a, a distributed ledger which provides a, a locked-in recording of documents and other things. So for an example, people forge documents and uh, hence the need for title insurance. Well, we don't need title insurance if there's blockchain because the way those ledgers are recorded on the blockchain, you would never they, they can never be changed or altered worldwide, which is one reason why it's uh, protected. Um, the same thing with capital and, and other type of monetary instruments. So you could imagine if you had your bank account and some hacker came and uh, hacked the bank's accounts and showed that now all of a sudden you have a zero balance, right? How do you prove what you had before? Well, the blockchain can help with that by having that information in a format that uh, it can never be altered or changed. So blockchain, and I'm just kind of scratching the surface here, but it's a very, very high-level way of uh, solidifying transactions and digital information across the world so that it's reliable and trust trustworthy to protect the interests of everyone involved, especially when you're dealing with cross-border with people with different uh, uh, nationalities and languages and things of that sort. So that's um, that's really, really important from that standpoint. I wanted to tie this into real estate, though, in a little bit deeper form. Was there anything you wanted to add on that as regards blockchain or... Pretty much, uh, yeah, you know, I, I heard an interesting um, analogy about blockchain, and it was like, you know, when, when you have a bank account, you're using a, a, a debit or a credit card to pay for something that you purchase, say you buy pizza or whatever, and you and you use your card where your bank records that transaction 20 bucks for whatever it is, or whatever it is, the cost of the pizza coming out of your account. And the pizza owner's bank credits his account for that 20 bucks going into his account. Mm -hmm. That's kind of like a mini blockchain, but it's, it's, it's restricted to only those two banks. Now, the real blockchain is where you have a number, infinite number of banks recording that same transaction. So it's almost like a, a verification or an audit. All of the other banks that are in the distributed, uh, the DLT distributed ledger act as uh, verification blocks, if you will. So therefore you have the blockchain. That's why they say it's, it's, um, it's fully transparent, it's mm -hmm. auditable, and you just can't trick the system because there's so many computers connected to the same blockchain to verify the transactions. Right. So, so that was one analogy. The other thing about tokenization is as it pertains to real estate, you're not actually tokenizing the real estate asset itself because of what you just said. You have deeds and you have all these other documents that come into play. What you actually do is, is, is establish the group I work with in Germany, they, they set up an SPV, say for instance, a special purpose vehicle uh, in whatever jurisdiction and they like their two, Maybe three states in the United States that's very favorable to tokenization. That's Wyoming, Delaware, and Ohio, and mostly Wyoming right now. If you want to look into some of that information, Google why, what's why, what Wyoming's doing with um, digital transformation and tokenization. And they actually set that up as an SPV, and you tokenize the shares of the SPV. So you're not actually tokenizing uh, fractional pieces of real estate. You're tokenizing 
fractional ownership shares of the SPV, which owns oh, the, the real estate asset itself. Yeah. So that's how you distribute the income and you you open it up for people who may not otherwise qualify. For instance, if you're not an accredited investor, you can't invest in major CRE like you know PPMs that are out there. Mm-hmm. But through tokenization, interestingly enough, you can. And you don't have to be a um, accredited investor. So so that that flips the script and and levels the playing field for a lot of potential real estate investors who want to invest in real estate, but they they don't qualify to invest in the major uh, commercial real estate funds and investments that are out there that are typically set aside for institutional investors or or accredited investors. Yeah, yeah, now that's that's a good point. And, you know, just to piggyback on the, the back of that, one of the real values with this, and let's just kind of back up and explain to kind of give a simple definition of what actually a token is. So let's say for an example, I own a building and I need to get capital or I want to buy a building. Let me say it that way. I want to buy a building. I need to get capital in order to buy that building. The typical way to do it is you either go to the bank and stand in line, or, you know, or, uh, maybe not physically, but you understand the point there. But you're, you're beating the pavement trying to get that money. You can actually create a special purpose entity, as Bernard had described. You can create a token around that. That entity can create a token. Now, a token, just for... Simplicity reasons, and I don't want to overconfuse it, but it would be almost like a Bitcoin, right? So you create this coin or token that can be used in order to buy shares in that entity that I've created to buy this building. Okay. And so you can buy these shares, as Bernard had mentioned, you don't have to go through the uh, uh, accredited process and you can buy these. But the, the advantage of this, because it's like, all right, so what's the point, right? This is just some new buzzword. Why is this a value? The reason why it's a value is because let's say I own a $50 million building and I want to get some of my money out. How do I get my money out? Right? I either have to refinance it or I have to sell it. Or I have to try to get a line of credit on the building and put that in second position, which usually doesn't happen. So what tokenization does is it provides a massive degree of liquidity to the commercial marketplace and access for everyone to participate in the investments of commercial real estate or other investments as well. This is a commercial real estate show, so I'm focusing on commercial real estate, but the ability to do that is, is huge. And so uh, we certainly see it as the, as the wave of the future in that regard. But no, I see you're chomping at the bit to add to that. No, I'm not, but <laughs> I, I agree with what you're saying there. What you did say that's key is liquidity because the asset itself is not liquid. You can't spend it. You don't have fiat currency. You can't go out and buy something with it, with that hard asset. You have to create the liquidity. I'll give you a couple of examples, things that are going on right now. I think every, I think almost every real estate transaction I'm involved in has some degree of digitization right now. I'll give you an example. There's a group of guys, maybe three or four young guys in Rhode Island, and they they own 87 multifamily properties. We set up 
a Zoom with him, with my guy in Kia to explain the dashboard, how it works with tokenizing, tokenization to come up with a alternative source of raising capital, just like you were saying. You either have to go to the bank or you have to have a rich relative or some investors or somebody to come to the table with enough capital uh, for you to participate in a real estate transaction. Well, now, even the guys who have the capital access to it, they're looking for alternative sources for raising capital and providing liquidity because even when they raise capital, it's tied up in some of the properties that they have. Mm -hmm. Now what they're trying to do is create more liquidity to keep the ball rolling, if you will. And the way to do that is to issue tokens against some of the assets that they already have. And I have at least two situations right now uh, where they have asked me to help them come up with a solution, an alternative solution. And that's the, the one in Rhode Island where they're doing the um, multifamily properties. Um, they're just buying, they're flipping multifamily properties. The other gentleman is on the West Coast. He's a, he was a son and his partner is a college buddy. They created a hedge fund in college, okay? So that, that's where these guys are coming from. Mm-hmm. They're one of the wealthiest real estate families in, in California. Their fund is, is used to purchase commercial real estate, and the tenants are tech giants. The tenants are the household names in the business, the Microsoft, the Facebook. Those guys are tenants. So they're looking to raise a fund to lock in commercial real estate with these tech giants as tenants for seven to 10 years. The traditional model doesn't work for them because of the amount they need to raise. So they're looking to tokenize or come up with some other alternatives to raising uh, enough funds to provide liquidity and then leverage that up so that they can reach the, the $250 million they're trying to raise. So it's your, your term, I mean, what you said earlier about liquidity is exactly, I think, one of the major benefits. And, and, and you know, I think um, to drive this home for me, I struggled with whether or not I wanted to jump into this space because old school, you have old school and you have old school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and I said, you know, I, you know, one of these days I may not be able to take a pull a dollar bill out of my pocket and pay for something. Let me get smart and see what's going on out here. Mm-hmm. The way I, I can, the analogy I can use perhaps is crowdfunding. Because most people understand crowdfunding. You put it out there and you get, you know, $5 here, $10 there. But if you have a global reach of people doing that, then you're raising a lot of money. It adds up. So tokenization, I've heard the term fractionization Mm -hmm. used with tokenization. And and it's kind of on the same plane, but just a little different. But that's how I, that's how I look at it. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's the the beauty of it. So let's say for an example, going back to that illustration of a $50 million building, you might not have the resources in order to take that project down, but you might want to be part of it. A lot of these investment funds will say, well, our minimum investment is $50,000. Minimum investment is $100,000 if you want to be part of the GP, you know, the, the general partnership of the deal. And so you're locked out, right? Especially yeah. a lot of minorities that don't have access to that capital. So, but a token, if they, if they fractionalize the asset, 
a token might be a dollar, right? It could be ten dollars. It could be anything, right? And so you'll have the ability to participate in those um, those investments, and it gives the owner liquidity because obviously they can now have that capital back that they put into the deal to go do another deal, and it allows you to get out when you want to get out too. You know, the the average hold for a private equity fund investing in real estate is five to seven years. And mm-hmm. so what if you can't stay in five to seven years because you got a kid going to college or, mm-hmm. you know, you, you you got a leak in your roof and you got to deal with that. I mean, there's a lot of things that can happen. And so we, we see that this has really become uh, the future of where things are headed from that standpoint. So that's a good thing. So let me do this, Bernard. Um, and I, I want to get your thought, but we're starting to get some questions and we generally open up the line at about 1030 in order to do that. So if you guys have questions, start, um, you know, either raising your digital hand or uh, whatever the case is, put them in the chat box. We'll certainly get to you. But, uh, but no, there was something else you were about to say uh, just a minute ago. <laughs> there was? <laughs> so I knocked you off your skis, huh? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no problem. No problem. If it comes back to you, just let us know. Inga, you have a uh, question for us today. Um, how can we help? Hi. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. Good. I have a question regarding the the most I know, like I I do a lot of cryptocurrency investing and I'm very interested in how you use BlockFi. Two companies I'm looking at now is BlockFi and I think it's Ball, where you can, because you're speaking about tokenization, but I want to see if you all can explain an actual real estate deal that was done by uh, borrowing against your coins and actually doing a purchase. That's what I'm trying to see, the actual complete transaction. Okay. All right. So I don't know how much detail. I think you're in here for that. We appreciate it uh, on that. So to give you an example of a, of a real-life transaction, it, it's pretty much like I described it, uh, and Bernard mentioned as well. You know, most people nowadays, when they want to buy a piece of commercial real estate, they're going to uh, form an LLC. And with that LLC, they're going to raise capital of that. People invest in that LLC, uh, which is generally a special purpose entity, usually formed in Delaware for protection. And then from there, it's a matter of, you know, raising that capital and getting people to be part of that LLC. And in essence, they're buying shares in the LLC, which turns around and, and buys the building. The problem is, is that there's no liquidity because there's no market for it. So you mentioned that you were able to buy coins and, and you do digital investing. If there was a token available for a piece of real estate, you could actually buy that just like you would buy Bitcoin or anything else. And so you're able to participate in the deal. So instead of getting shares of ownership in a LLC, you're getting shares of ownership in that special purpose entity, but you're getting coins or tokens as opposed to uh, shares, if you will. And those tokens are traded on a marketplace that allows you to get in and get out and sell those tokens as you choose to. So I don't know if that fully answers your question, but hopefully it does to some degree. But now, did you want to answer that at all? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Inga, for, for your question. Uh, I have a question for you before I respond. You mentioned that um, you've done cryptocurrency investing. Um, you mind giving an example? So I purchased several tokens so that I can get my amount of shares um, to a large percentage when I learned that I could go on BlockFi and essentially leverage my coins for um, the same kind of financing I would normally get through a bank. 
I can create liquidity by them sending me money based on my Bitcoin. So if I have a certain amount of Bitcoin, then I need, I can also almost create a line of credit for myself by leveraging my coins through a platform like BlockFi is one of the ones that I know that do it, um, where it's almost like that's I think that's why the federal government got so involved now with um, trying to look into this, because you can also almost circumvent the banks and be your own bank. Absolutely. And I love it. I I just want to know how to get the money out or how that's playing into real estate. So if I want to go do a real estate purchase how the attorneys or whatever, how they're dealing with that aspect, because I haven't done that part yet. And that's what I want to do. Well, so um, I commend you for, for looking into that, being going that far uh, into this space. I would hesitate to give you any exact um, response because in, in this format, we don't have the exact details, but you're on the right track because there are several platforms that are that are offering trading in the secondary market. It's called the secondary market because these aren't main securities offered on uh, a major exchange like the New York Stock Exchange or, or FTSE or, or Singapore Stock Exchange. But I know that, like you said, you can leverage the value. I think you have to keep it all in the family. Though. You have to um, use it, uh, use that leverage and that value to leverage against other assets trading on that platform. I think that's how it works. I I have a a relationship with a group out of Singapore, a regulated platform called OnChain, and they act as a custodian. And one of the things they're doing is they've opened up their trading to clients who onboard, which means they pass compliance, you do the KYC and the AML, and then you establish an account. And once you have an account, you can trade your digital assets. And they don't just say crypto, it's any digital asset that's out there that they can, once they do their due diligence, they put on their platform and you can actually leverage against those assets because the value of every coin is probably going to be the same. So it's almost like FX trading, currency trading. So when one's high and the other's low, then you know how that works. To answer your question, there have been um, a number of finalized deals, one in Atlanta that I know about through uh, DigiShare is a group I'm working with in uh, Austria. And this gentleman who is African-American created his platform to fund affordable housing in opportunity zones. And he's developing those, I don't know if you know about this, Joe, but he's developing these affordable housing with refurbished container shipments. And I know that he issued a stove to raise pretty close to $12 million. So I know that that that's one. But another where you can find a lot of good information is, um, I don't know if you've heard of T-Zero. T-Zero Partners is a major uh, technology platform that tokenized a part of a luxury real estate development in the UK, in Manchester. And their stove was to the value of $25 million. So what River Plaza did was they tokenized a portion of the value of this luxury hotel to create liquidity and capital, exactly what you're asking. So if you go to that, you can see all of the information there, and that'll, that'll answer your question specifically. 
Angel, thank you again for uh, participating today. Let's move to um, Glenn Gray. How you doing, man? What's on your mind today? Good morning, Joe. Hey, well, man. first, I definitely appreciate you bringing this conversation forward, Joe and Bernard, for, for being here with us. It wasn't too long ago that I... I read somewhere that one of the founders of uh, Harlem Capital, you know, a VC firm of African-Americans spent his entire weekend, you know, researching crypto and blockchain. So I knew then that I needed to pay attention, you know. So my question was about affordable housing, but you answered that specific question. And then another question came in mind, which is, you know, have you seen or do you anticipate or will there be any pushback? with adding uh, the tokenization into a capital stack where, you know, you have limited partners that may not understand this process, so they don't want to co-mingle their straight cash investment with a, you know, with a, you know, with the asset that has some of the uh, tokenization as part of the capital stack. Basically, how does everybody play together in this capital stack sandbox? I, I think that's a, oh, thank you, Glenn, for that, that question. That's a great question. I think that's exactly like the, um, the example I mentioned about the California real estate guys, because he said, <laughs> yeah, my, my dad can write a check up to 50 million, <laughs> but, but we were looking to do 250 million. And he said, we have access to the traditional means of, of raising capital, blah, blah, blah. But we want to be the first institutional tokenized commercial real estate firm out there. So there's an example, I believe, of what you're talking about, how to integrate tokenization into the capital stack. And it's not necessarily, and I may have used the wrong term, it's not necessarily an integration, but it's certainly a, a complement to the capital stack. Uh, I don't think that you can actually integrate it if, if you're going to do a, a traditional capital stack and tokenization on a blockchain, I think they're, they're mutually exclusive. But, you know, the purpose can be for the same thing. When you do, when you do um, and, and I'm not sure on the legal side of this, but if you did a PPM for your capital stack and, and PPM, use that same PPM for, for raising the token, if you can do it that way, then then everybody on this is on the same team working towards the same goal. Did that kind of answer your question, Glenn? Yes, thank you. And I'm assuming that you are available as a consultant in this space. And if I had a firm that was looking to to move forward with this kind of transaction, we could reach out. Well, well, I work for Joel, so uh, he'll have to answer the question. Oh, even better. That's perfect. That's perfect. Great. Thank you. I'll tell you, um, Joel, something. Joel, um, Joel called me up a couple of weeks ago and said, Bernard, I got some guys in Buckhead I want you to meet. <laughs> and Joel knows where I'm going with this story. Yeah. And um, there's uh, one, two, there are three guys there. And I meet these guys, and uh, one guy is the president of the ninth largest black-owned uh, publicly traded company, even though it's Pink's a publicly traded company in the United States. And just so happens the guy is from an area where I used to live. So we hit it off. We got to talking what he was trying to do. And the other guys, Joe, brought to tell you were some guys who were in real estate but had access to some legendary performers in the music business. 
And somehow the conversation went to NFT. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wait a minute, there's a way we can connect this and that. And there was. And, the, and before you knew it, another guy who is in New York, who is a neurosurgeon and works with NFTs and rappers, I won't get into all of that, but we put all of that together. They've already got the MOU, I believe, Joe, done. The deal happened within two or three weeks. So there's there's so many opportunities that can be created with this new technology. It's almost like, you know, I'm, I'm working with a, 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 a governmental organization called SOAD, State of the African Diaspora. And everybody knows what's happened in Africa. We know about what happened to us coming here to these states. And we know, hopefully, about colonialism. Af- the continent of Africa is the wealthiest landmass in the world. And, uh, and flip switch there, uh, flip the script, script there, and they're the poorest. They represent some of the poorest people. And my thinking was, you know, some years ago, there's got to be a way we can monetize some of the value of the natural resources there in Africa. And believe it or not, we're doing it. Through technology, we're doing it. Through smart cities, we're doing it right now. So the same thing goes into, I believe, where you're going with this, Glenn. And the opportunity is out there. And forums like this, Joel, is exactly what we need to have people to start talking to grasp this technology and create opportunities for ourselves. You know, there was just a report last week where Wells Fargo has turned away, what, 40, 50% of Black uh, applicants for homes? Mm -hmm. Come on now. This is 2021. Come on, we can do that. And I'm sure Wells Fargo is not the only one. So technology is, is a, this technology is a platform where we can level the playing field. Barack Obama was, was elected partially because he raised so much money. How do you do it? Crowdfunding. So it's, it's before us. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's all right there. And uh, very good points. Thank you for, for bringing that up and the uh, opportunities that exist out there. Let's see. Kay Bennett's got a uh, question here in the chat. Where do we look for opportunities to invest in this matter? Is there a specific platform to use? Some of those have actually been covered, you know, Bernard mentioned a few of them as we were talking just a few minutes ago. Is there anything else you wanted to add to that, Bernard, that you, you know, uh, places that you haven't already mentioned? Because this will be broadcast and and, uh, posted live probably in about two weeks once the editors get through with it. So uh, you can always play it back and, you know, get that information. So, what was that? Um, places to invest in commercial real estate, was it? No, no, no. To invest in this matter. So if you wanted to buy tokens to uh, participate in uh, investments, could you do that with some platform? So you mentioned a, a couple of the platforms already as to where a person can invest in tokens uh, to own commercial real estate. One of my mental gurus said, you know, we live in an age of information, so ignorance is a choice. So you can, you can Google you can Google anything, but I tend to focus on in terms of where I want to spend time is, is how to create a better world. We can make as much money as we want. We can create as much wealth as we want. But this, this um, uh, climate change and environmental issues are serious. I'm not going apocalyptic on anybody, but I'm really focused on how we can do good and do well, do well by doing good. 
And that's in green energy, green opportunities, um, carbon neutral opportunities. Uh, electric vehicles are going to be a part of the mainstay for everybody's life. Uh, I have one in the garage right now. So there's going to be a lot of emphasis and a lot of money, even real estate focused on green opportunities. Right here in the United States, we have the need for affordable housing. There are going to be a lot of interest from the government on down in affordable housing that are also green. So long-term, I think there's some opportunities to invest in real estate that are going into opportunity zones. And I think you can get into those at a smaller amount. Joe, you know more about this than I do. I mean, if you get into opportunity zone, real estate opportunities, you're almost buying at a discount, right? Because of the tax benefits you get. And then on the other side, you reap a high ROI or return on your investment because you got in at such a discount. Right, right, Joel? Is, is yeah, that right? Yeah. That's, that's the whole idea behind it. The challenge with a lot of the opportunity zones is you got to stay in for 10 years. Oh, okay. To realize that benefit, which right. is why this is exciting because what if you don't want to stay in for 10 years, but you, know, you need your liquidity, perhaps the asset has appreciated enough to, to warrant getting out. Well, well, you see, there's the beauty of the token, because in the, in the example I gave you about the refurbished containers, yeah, the container, the shipment container homes, that's tokenized. Mm-hmm. So he's tokenizing that whole process, and he's building an opportunity zones. So now you've got almost a double whammy. You've got, you, you can invest on a discount basis, because it's in an opportunity zone, you get the advantage, you have the advantage of, of, of purchasing the token uh, and you're doing something that's good because it's all affordable housing. So you check all three of those boxes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see, Delvin had a question here. If we choose to invest in tokenization, what happens if the managing partner chooses to liquidate and no longer has skin in the game? How do we protect ourselves? Well. I mean, that's a very good question. I always refer it back to stock. You know, let's say if Bill Gates liquidates his stock in Microsoft, how are you protected? I mean, obviously, there's a company there that will continue to run. But it is a a valuable question about the the skin in the game. I would think that most people wouldn't get out until the investment is done what it was designed to do as to why they got in in the first place. So uh, if that return has been produced... Let's say it's a five-year window and he produces it in three. Get out in three. Or if the owner that had the skin in the game gets out in three, the, the, the returns are still there. So uh, you just got to look at that and, and see you know, how you feel about the deal and whether the um, sponsor is going to perform. I mean, you still have to do due diligence, even if it's a token. Anything you want to add to that, Bernard? Well, I think, if I'm interpreting this right, I think... The question regarding the managing partner risk should be addressed because if you own a token in that property, then your token is owned through your own wallet. And that wallet is secure. So that aspect of ownership can't be touched by a managing partner. I believe that's the way it works. So the question is based on traditional real estate transactions. But we're talking about tokenization of strategies. 
Yeah, let's let Bill, he, he's unmuted himself, so maybe he can explain what he was, was actually asking him. Yeah, so, uh, Joel, great conversation, and absolutely, thank you for uh, coming and explaining this stuff to us, uh, Bernard and Aggie Pride. Hey, so, all right. <laughs> so, so, yeah, um, I was thinking to myself, you know, one of the big benefits is this whole liquidation concept, and, you know, let's say... I go and raise money the traditional route. Usually there are, I don't know, contracts or something in place that does not allow me to, you know, get out without paying the other lenders or people that have given me money. I'm trying to figure out, like, in this tokenization environment, are there, you know, legal contracts that are written up so that, you know, this managing partner can't raise all the money and then just ditches and there's nobody left to manage the property managers or to make that decision of we want a new AC or repair the AC. Like who's actually managing the property going forward if this 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 principle or I don't have the term for it, I call it managing partner leaves. So again, it's it's it, it's determined by the legal structure of the tokenization and the uh, I want to say SPV. Because typically that's what happens. You, you, you create the SPV in the state of Wyoming or Delaware. And uh, Joe, you can, you can help with this one. If you had a traditional arrangement, usually it's like LLCs or LLPs, and you invest, you have a, a finite number of shares that you own out of the number of shares that are issued, out of the total number of shares issued, right? So... If you raise, uh, if you raise a certain amount of money, that means you're entitled to the value based on your share ownership of the of the assets raised, and that should all be protected in a legal environment. So the same thing would apply to the tokenization. I believe is the way it works. Yeah. So just just to kind of add to that, Delvin, it's not that your your point isn't valid. It is a valid point, but there's a couple of things. First of all, all the money doesn't have to be raised through this tokenization process. It could just be the part that's generally the most difficult, which is the general partner part of the capital stack, the GP, is uh, generally where people get hung up. So if you have a, a debt provider on a deal, uh, the bank is going to make sure that you can't just exit because you're going to be guaranteeing that note on in first position. So that's going to be there. And then you also have your limited partners well, generally the guys writing the, you know, 50 to $100 million checks, and they're going to make sure that you're staying involved as well uh, for them to have their involvement. So that's tied up legally. Now, the other side of it is, yes, if a person, let's say you did tokenize the whole project and uh, you decide, well, hey, I've, I've got my money, I've acquired the asset, and now I want to ditch. There are legal guidelines that could be put into the PPM, to use that term that everybody's familiar with, that uh, will prevent you from doing that. And it would be up to you as an investor to read that and say, okay, I'm comfortable with this, or there's no provision here locking the sponsor of the deal into the deal. So I'm not going to invest because I don't want him to do exactly what you propose, right? So that's um, that's one way to, to protect yourself. I mean, you know, we're still not saying that this is stupid money, right? Like you just can just be stupid and throw money at, at these things and invest. You still need to do your due diligence. You still need to be smart. You still need to know who's sponsoring the deal and if they're capable of execution. 
all those things still come into play. We're just talking about a vehicle where now you can put your money in and have a means to get your money out with, with, at, at your will, as opposed to having to wait for the owner of the deal to have a capital event to get out. So that was perfect. Thank you, guys. Okay. All right, thank One you. other thing I might add, and, and you can check into, is I don't believe that uh, anyone, managing director or otherwise, have the legal authority to take the money and run. The money should be in like an escrow type account or some kind of trust account so that you can't just access it uh, anytime you want. So you might want to check on that too. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and again, remember you're you're buying as through like a public exchange. So it'll be the same thing as if you buy a stock and uh, on E-Trade, you know, you go out and buy a stock on E-Trade. Is the owner of that company going to be able to take your ownership and your money and, and run off with it? You know, they can't do that, right? So no, it's, in, it's in a custodial account in right. your name. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So you do have protections there. But, um, you know, as Deneen mentioned uh, a minute ago, we may have to do a, a, a part two to this discussion uh, where we'll go a little bit deeper as well and then bring some other folks on the line to, to join us as well. All right, Glenn, you have one other point you wanted to bring out here. It sounds like also AI, the opportunity to attract foreign investors in addition to the often used EB-5 program, foreign investors are probably more open to tokens than U.S. investors. Uh, I would actually agree with that. One thing I will say is that you know, around the world, people will argue with this, but the United States is very, very far behind a lot of other countries as it relates to this. I think, Bernard, I was telling you, I, I had a trip overseas Literally, it's a 20 plus hour flight. And, uh, you know, got off the plane and realized I left all my credit cards in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, what am I going right. to do? <laughs> I mean, I was, I was ready to just hit the panic button. I was like, man, you know, if I fly back to Atlanta, go to my house, get my credit cards, and come back, I'm like, well, I know, right? The whole trip is over, right? So, because I had things kicking off that next day. And um, literally, the whole time I was there, almost two weeks, I was able to use my digital wallet with my cell phone to do everything. To get on the train, to buy food, to go play, I mean, whatever, taxis, everything through my digital wallet. So it's incredible, you know, what you can do uh, with this type of technology. And the United States is, is so far behind. I mean, I look at people, you know, and I'm not demeaning anybody that, that's on the call today, but... You know, there's still a lot of folks that walk around paying cash for stuff, right? And I mean, even even myself, I, I don't I don't want to act like a hypocrite. I keep a couple dollars on me in case you know somebody's machine is down, right? But this money has probably been sitting in my wallet eight months, you know, because I, I don't ever use it, right? So it's it's a it's a different world. And, and the thing that we're trying to do for all of our guests here is um it's like Herman Bulls mentioned last week, um you know the, the vice chair of JLL. Is that uh, you know what well, he was actually quoting Wayne Gretzky? You you go to where the puck is going, right? You skate to where the puck is headed. And so what we're trying to do is is through this forum is put you in front of where the puck is going, so we can learn this stuff and take advantage of it and get that leg up as the old school way of doing things kind of transitions out. So huge opportunity to uh, take advantage of these things. So. So, so let me say something about the um, comment Glenn made. I was trying to read it there. Also, AI, the opportunity to attract fun. You know, the EB-5 program used to be really attractive, but I believe they changed the rules to 
increase the basic requirement to something that's almost out of reach to most foreigners trying to buy citizenship, right? What is it like a million, five million, something that's crazy? Mm-hmm. But your your thinking is in line. You know, Biden just ex- just signed an executive order for us to look into cryptocurrencies because we're getting cr- they're getting the government's getting crushed from all ends. Everybody wants in. Um, the bankers can't hold it back. So now they're saying, okay, the lawmakers and the lobbyists are hitting them up, saying, okay, we got to find a way that we can control this thing because if we don't, then you know people are going to be making all this money and we won't get any. <laughs> so that's why they have to they have to really look into promulgating laws so that Wall Street can make their money and the people who run the central banks can still control currency. So it's it's happening out there, like Joel said, all over the world. Uh, central banks all over the world are adopting their own coins. Saudi Arabia just agreed, I believe it was, with China to accept the yuan as the currency for trading oil versus U.S. dollar. That's a big deal, folks. That's a big deal because that's an attack on the global, rec- globally recognized major currency, which is the U.S. dollar. Oddly enough, I had an, almost an argument about this with some of the guys in my Bible study class, and I said something like that. And this was before all this happened. And the guys are like, oh, I got cash under my, you know, under my mattress. Blah, 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 blah. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to be at peace. <laughs> I'm going to be at peace. But it's, but it's happening, you know. So um, your question about EB-5 is a, is a good one. I think with, with, with blockchain and with digital currency expanding global, I don't know why they're going to even need um, an EB-5 program unless they just want to be citizens of the U.S. I mean, that is the gateway to citizenship, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know. We, we'll have to see how that goes. Yeah, appreciate that. So as, as we, we get ready to wrap up, I did want to mention one other thing, that there's a reason why I wanted to have this discussion, why it's so important. You look at what's going on in Russia right now to the ruble and how their currency has, has dropped to record lows. Let me guarantee you that in the back of the mind of Putin is if they were on an international currency platform like Bitcoin or one of these other coins that are out there, they wouldn't have had that situation happen because the currency would be bullied by everybody on the planet as opposed to one country. So one way to starve off and prevent economic sanctions from actually happening is to change the currency system to a Bitcoin Bitcoin type system which is incredible because if that happens, then obviously the rest of the world is going to pay attention and start jumping on as well. So there's a lot of big things about to happen and come down the pipe. So you better believe it's uh, it's coming. So we want you to be ahead of it. And uh, we're certainly willing to uh, come back and address this again at another time. So uh, Bernard, any, any final comments for our guests today? Well, you know, I'm, I, I appreciate everybody being on the line and the questions that that came up. I'm going to throw something at you that that I'm involved in, and it's um, with this organization working with Africa and, and, and attacking some of the problems that were created through colonialization. Um, if you look at Africa, it's divided into all these countries. You look at it on the globe, and it looks almost like the United States, the way it's segregated. Well, you look at any other continent, and it's not like that. Australia's not like that. China's not like that. Um, it was done that way intentionally to divide us, divide and conquer 
And, and if you ever think about why is it that the Europeans uh, occupy Africa, why is it that they speak French only in Sierra Leone, you, you tend to start thinking and understand that. Well, now the move afoot is to create a technology-based solution, creating digital currencies where it can be traded intracontinental and, and facilitate more and more trade opportunities to create more and more economic development for the people of Africa. And uh, if it works in Africa, it can work here. Um, so I, I implore you to, to learn as much as you can about this platform and the opportunity that uh, blockchain provides. And the thing I wanted to say <laughs> was uh, one of the projects we're working on is called a um, geospatial mobile app. And, and the guy who is who I'm working with is a minister of commerce and trade. And the reason, and I've learned so much from him, the reason he wants this mobile app is that, believe it or not, well, you probably know, the banking system and financial system in Africa is nil, does not exist in a lot of places. So it's very hard to get their goods and products out to make money and to participate in global trade. But everybody's got a phone. Everybody can get online and they have a phone. They can do exactly what you did, Joel, when you left and didn't have your credit card. So they can enhance their livelihood with this phone. There are properties, land properties that have not been identified and registered within the government. So he asked me to look into getting, uh, developing a mobile app that can be downloaded where they can take this app almost like a um, GPS system, walk around the boundaries of their land and document their land so they can register it so it doesn't get taken away from them by the government. And some of the same things that happened to black folk on the on the coast. Uh, I'm from South Carolina. I know it happened in South Carolina where all the resorts are now. Tax them out. So that's going on in Africa right now. These, these guys are they're taking charge. So we got to do the same thing here. And real estate, I think, and technology is a great opportunity for us to do it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's certainly a, a conversation for another day because there's um a lot I can elaborate on related to that as well. You know, they're not running telephone wires all across Africa. They can't. You can't do it, right? There you go. It's all cellular technology and other things. So there's a brave new world out there, guys. So yeah. uh, it's exciting, and uh, we're we mm-hmm. hope you are. Uh, will be a, a part of it as we continue down this journey. So Bernard, as always, thank you so much, my friend. Good to see you as always. I can go back to bed now. Yeah, yeah, get back in bed. <laughs> so we appreciate you, you being here. And um, as always, this is the uh, Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to seeing you next week as well. All right, take care, everyone. Aggie pride. All right, take care, man. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.